Well, the 1980s were a time that revolutionized pop culture as we know it. From the music and the movies and the styles and the big hair and the gadgets. I was a teenager in the 1980s. And being a teenager in the 80s means that I spent a lot of quarters playing Pac-Man. Any other Pac-Man players here? Being a teenager in the 80s means I spent a lot of hours unsuccessfully trying to solve the Rubik's Cube. And being a teenager in the 80s, I remember the day I got my first Sony Walkman. What a great day that was. I also remember coming home from school, collapsing cardboard boxes in the garage so that my friends and I could break dance. That was terrible, actually. I, I, I never was very good at that. And in the 80s, we had a lot of cultural icons that we looked to. There was Michael Jackson and Tina Turner and Eddie Murphy and Michael J. Fox and Madonna. And, okay, this is going way, way back. But there was a guy named Tom Cruise <laughs> who was in a movie called Top Gun. I guess some things never change, right? But one cultural icon I was thinking of this week was a guy named Don Johnson. Anybody remember Don Johnson, the star of Miami Vice? Now, Don had it all going on, in my opinion. He had the hair, he had the sunglasses, he had an amazing car, and most of all, he had this signature white jacket that he wore. And so, when I was in the ninth grade and our teacher told us we need to dress up for a formal year-end leaving junior high school, I had to channel my inner Don Johnson, and I went for it and got this white coat. Take a look at this picture. <laughs> You're thinking, wait, is that Don Johnson as a teenager? Is that Jade? I know, it's hard to, it's hard to pick us apart. I miss that coat. I mean, Fashion-wise, that was the high point of my entire life right there. <laughs> All went downhill after that. The clothes that we wear tell a kind of story, don't they? It tells a story of what we're feeling that day. It tells a story of, of our personality. It might even tell a story of how we see ourselves, how we want to be perceived. And so for a few glorious hours on a June evening in grade nine, I was Don Johnson. Our text today actually makes this connection between who we are and what we wear. Our identity and our wardrobe, at least metaphorically speaking. In Colossians 3, hear these words. This is our text for today. This is God's word. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have, has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. 
So we're in the middle of a series here through the book of Colossians. And if you've missed a few weeks, here's what you need to know. You are a new creation. Jesus came to make you new. Jesus came not to improve your life, though that, of course, could happen. Jesus came to make you a new person with a new identity and a new mission and a new family. And so the encouragement through this series has been when you understand who you are, then you can go out and live who you are. And when you understand your identity, it ripples out to your relationships, to your work, to your play, to your leisure, to your connections in your neighborhood. You know that people in the early church, when they were baptized, and baptism, if you're new, is a, a, a Christian ceremony where we plunge someone under the water when they declare that they want to follow Jesus. Did you know that people in the early church, when they were baptized, received new clothing? It was to depict this new identity that they were now going to wear before the world. These new, this new wardrobe, these virtues, they were putting on the clothing of Christ. And so for a few moments this morning, I want to explore this connection between a new identity and a new wardrobe. So first, what is this new identity? Well, we read it in verse 12. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now we start here, even though in my mind, to be honest, when I read these verses, I jump over this and I get to the action stuff. I get to the imperatives. What am I supposed to do? But did you know that the gospel never starts there? The gospel never starts with what we do. It starts with who we are. It's always identity before imperative. It's always being before doing. Truth is, if we start with doing, we will fail. We cannot live out these virtues on our own. We can only grasp a hold of who we are in Christ. And once we've grasped that at the core, it begins to ripple out and change us. It's a supernatural kind of a life. Now this goes against a popular understanding in our culture of what Christian faith is. Here's the popular understanding of Christian faith. There are good people and there are bad people. And God loves good people. So be a good person and God will love you. And go to church because at church you will hear messages like it's good to be good and it's nice to be nice. Friends, let me just underscore something that you know. That, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not good news. That is a gospel of moralism. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we're all created good, but we're all broken, and Jesus loves broken people. And he meets us in our brokenness and is making us new. He is healing and redeeming us and making us new people. And it's this new identity and new creation that you and I 
are called to live out. What is this identity? You are chosen. Now, some of you may have been in a situation recently where you applied for a job and you were lined up against many other candidates. Or some of you applied for a school program where you were competing against other applicants and you all know the sting of what it feels like to be told you have not been chosen. But occasionally, we also get the feeling to know what it's like to be chosen. That someone sees us and chooses us. And the story of the gospel is that God has handpicked you. Jesus has handpicked you to be a part of his family, his kingdom, and has given you an important mission in this world, a purpose. How does, how does that feel? to be handpicked, personally handpicked by God. Second, we're told that we are holy. Now, I know you're thinking, I'm not holy. If you knew about my last week, you would not declare me holy. But the Bible says you are holy, and it defines holiness as not as some ultra-pure state, but that you have been chosen and set apart by God and for God for his purposes. That Jesus Christ on the cross absorbs the penalty of our sin and in exchange, we are declared righteous and holy by Jesus Christ. That is your identity. So you are chosen. You are holy. And third, you are dearly loved. I don't know if there's anything more important than understanding at the core of your being that you are deeply loved by God. If you can grasp that, if you can believe that not just up here, but here, it will, it will change your life. It will affect the very core of your being you know, a respected professor of psychology and spirituality, Dr. David Benner, tells a story in one of his books. He says, do a little thought experiment. What does God feel when he thinks of you? And according to Dr. Benner, most people believe that at any given moment, God is disappointed with them. God is angry with them. God looks at us with a kind of, man... If Jade could only figure it out and get that mess of his life together. And if that is the way that you see yourself, if that is the way you believe God sees you, then your spiritual life will be marked by fear and by mistrust. Or will you believe the truth of the scriptures that declares that when God thinks of you, his heart bursts with love. His heart bursts with affection for you because you are his. You are his child. And he delights in you. And the hard to believe yet, yet message of the Bible, yet totally true message of the Bible is that Jesus looks upon you the same way he looks upon Jesus Christ. The joy that he feels in Jesus Christ, his son, that's the joy that he feels over you. 
the, the heart that bursts with affection for Jesus, his son, is the same affection that God the Father feels for you. That God chooses to be known as love. And that love, that bias towards you, is persistent, it is powerful, and it is passionate. And when you believe that, that will affect everything in your life. Your relationship with God will be one marked by freedom and trust and delight. So to start, who do you think that you are? Who do you believe that Jesus sees you as? Have you claimed this new identity of Colossians 3.12, you are God's chosen. You are God's holy and dearly loved child. Well, once we've grasped that identity, we see that it leads to a new wardrobe. Let's talk about this new wardrobe that flows out of this new identity. Because Jesus says that there are going to be new clothes that we wear. First, he says that we are to be clothed with compassion. What is compassion? Compassion literally means to suffer with. It means that when we see suffering in the world, we don't do what we normally want to do, which is run in the opposite direction. But we take a Christ-like posture and enter in in solidarity with those who suffer. Listen to this quote by Henry Nouwen. Compassion is hard because it requires the inner disposition to go with others to the place where they are weak, vulnerable, lonely, and broken. What we desire most to do is to do away with suffering by running from it or finding a cure for it. This means, first and foremost, we want to do something to help someone, to make our presence a difference and we ignore our greatest gift, our ability to enter into solidarity with those who suffer. When we figure out this new identity, then we, like Christ, can enter into the suffering of others and stand with others in that place, with sympathy, with, with compassion, that we are moved deeply and we long to stand in solidarity with those who suffer. The second piece of clothing that we're, we're told about is the clothing of kindness. Rosera Butterfield was not a follower of Christ. And one day she wrote in her local paper because she thought that evangelical Christians were poor thinkers, judgmental, scornful, and afraid of diversity. So she wrote an article, a critique of evangelical Christians, and she received hundreds of letters of reply. And she decided to separate those into two piles, one that, that agreed with her and one that disagreed. I'm sure the one that disagreed was very, very high stack of letters. And then, get this, she received a two-page response from a local pastor. She says, it was kind and an inquiring letter. It had a warmth and a civility to it in addition to its probing questions. I couldn't figure out what box to put this letter in. 
So it just sat on the center of my desk for days. It was the kindest letter of opposition I had ever received. Its tone demonstrated the writer was not against her. Eventually, Rosaria decided to contact this pastor, and they became friends. They talked, she's saying about this pastor and his wife, they talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. Their friendship became an important part of Rosaria coming to faith in Christ through kindness. These are the clothes that we now wear because of our identity. Third, humility. Some people think that humility means thinking less of yourself. But as C.S. Lewis says, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That we become less self-focused and more outward-focused, listening to what others are saying. We get to wear the love of Christ expressed in these virtues. Now, I was reflecting on this this week, thinking about how we endeavor to be compassionate, kind, humble people. And I was thinking that sometimes, sometimes we get this right, especially when there are people who are like us. But here's where we hit a hurdle, is when there are people who are very different from us. This is where our kindness and our compassion and our humility gets tested. Sociologists and anthropologists tell us that the human brain is amazing at categorizing things. And it does this with people. And they say this goes back to our cavemen ancestors. See, when you were living in caves and someone came into your cave, you had a split-second decision, is this person one of us? Are they a friend or are they a foe? And somehow that legacy has extended on and the human brain automatically categorizes people into, are you like me or are you different from me? If you're like me, then I welcome you in and I create a place of belonging. But if you're different, I other you. I put you in a corner over there because you are different and I want to keep my distance. And we do this in all sorts of ways. Male or female, my ethnicity or your ethnicity, my color of skin, is it the same as mine? Are you like me or are you different? Are you indigenous or non-indigenous? Do you share my religion or do you have another religion? Are you conservative or liberal, Democrat or Republican? Are you vax or anti-vax, mask or anti-mask, pro-trucker rally or anti-trucker rally? Are you straight or are you queer? Are you rich or are you poor? Do you see how this this natural tendency comes to to other, to put people in, in another category? And... What Jesus is saying is you are a new person. In the early, in the ancient days, the ultimate dividing line was, are you a Jew or are you a Greek? And here's what verse 15 tells us. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. We are members of one body. And so as spiritual director Mark Anderson puts it, he was our speaker at our staff retreat this week. He puts it this way, that love is what you do when you believe that we are one. Love is what you do when you believe that we are one. Think about that for a moment uh, with a relationship or someone in your life that you, you are tempted to put in the other corner. We're not one, we're different. And Jesus is saying, no, no, as a part of this new creation, I am making one body. And so if you hurt another, you're actually hurting yourself. And in a mysterious way, when you build up the other, you're actually building up yourself because we are one. Do you see how this new identity and this new understanding is breaking down all kinds of walls that would separate? This is part of the new clothing that we are called to wear. Recently, I a couple weeks ago, I heard a story from one of my colleagues about a woman in our community named Layla. That's not her real name. Layla probably would identify as a so-called other because she arrived here in Canada alone as a young woman, as a refugee. And her first experiences in our beautiful country were anything but kind and anything but compassionate. She landed in a homeless shelter and for three weeks stayed there terrified, confused, and isolated. She couldn't sleep. The mixed gender dorm was noisy. There were illegal drugs. She did not feel safe. And after three weeks, she ran out of money and felt desperate. And by a miracle of God, somebody from our 10th community heard about her and offered her a place to live. And in time... Layla met Mim, who's seated right at the back, who's our refugee coordinator, refugee support coordinator. And Mim invited Layla to a summer camp where immediately Layla was surrounded by a caring community. She stayed in a cabin with people who listened to her story. They had fun. They went swimming. A woman helped her overcome her fear of water, and they went swimming. A teenage boy showed her how to ride a bike. Laughter and acceptance marked each meal. She even learned to line dance at the late night campfire. And this experience of warmth and community and belonging, Layla describes as it was like going from hell to heaven. And returning from this camp, Layla told every newcomer she met about it. And three years later, there is a whole camp dedicated to newcomers to create a place of belonging, to create community from our very own refugee community here at 10th. When people experience compassion and gentleness and kindness and patience, when they experience that from God, from others, they're changed. And they can't help but be changed at the very core of who they are. 
And then they wear those virtues. They wear that clothing of Christ for others in beautiful ways. Let me conclude by reminding all of us something that you already know, that it's at the cross that we see the picture of a God who is compassion. We see the picture of a God who is humble. We see the picture of a God who is kind. We see the picture of a God who did not other us and leave us in the corner, but actually left heaven and came down to connect with us. And I'm reminded that the very last thing that Jesus, that was taken from Jesus while he was on earth, were his clothes. His clothes were stripped from him. And now his clothes are offered to us to wear. You and I are called to wear the clothing of Christ in this world. To, to know who we are at a core level and then to live that love of Christ all around us. To remember that we are called to be one and that God's work in us will change the world. It will open up new relationships. It will share Christ's love in a powerful and a profound way. Pray with me. Lord, I lift up first all of us here who struggle sometimes to remember our identity. Would you help us to, to know deep in our bones that we are dearly loved? Convince us of that. Change us from the inside out. Help us to wear your clothing of love. Help us to be one. In Christ's name, amen.